Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Do you like apples? Well, fruit tree expert Ed Livo of TomorrowsHarvest.com returns with an apple variety that is not only delicious, but can be grown throughout most of the United States. It's today on Fabulous Fruit Friday, the Empire Apple. Plus, if you're having problems starting your outdoor garden power equipment, it just might be your gasoline. We have tips to make sure your mower, weed trimmer, leaf blower, and other gas-powered equipment starts on the first pull of the rope or turn of the key. And our favorite college horticulture professor, retired Debbie Flower, has tomato plant pruning tips that can hasten the arrival of those tasty red orbs in the coming months. It's all on episode 88 of the Garden Basics podcast, brought to you by Smart Pots and Tomorrow's Harvest. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. It's Fabulous Fruit Friday here at Garden Basics, which means it's time to bring in Ed Livo from Virtual Nursery and TomorrowsHarvest.com to give us a tasty piece of fruit to talk about and maybe someday for you to munch on. And Ed, I'm hankering for an apple. I know it's not apple season. It's, it's only, what, March, but still, I'd like a fresh apple. Hey, Fred. It's fruit tree season. In general, this is a time when you go out and you kind of plan and purchase what you really want to plant for this year. And you really have to have, you know, some inspiration to do that. And there's no more inspiration out there than um, when you bite into an empire apple. Empire apples are incredible, incredibly special, wonderful piece of fruit. Where did that come from? You know, it's it's got a curious history. You know, it's 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 not a technically an, an heirloom apple yet. It's fat, you know, close to it, but um, it's really a, a, a variety that was uh, first crossed in the mid '40s, I think. Um, then kind of investigated by Cornell University in the mid '50s, and then introduced in the mid '60s. So, kind of had a short, long introduction into the world. And I think I became familiar with it towards the end of the 70s when I uh, got the uh, chance to taste it at an orchard down in Santa Cruz. And surprisingly enough, you know, here's a New York apple in Santa Cruz. And I thought at the time I was just kind of getting into fruit trees. And I really thought it was curious that, you know, everything that I had learned about chill and this this apple that obviously came out of the, uh, New York, which would be considerably high chill, was growing and producing such wonderful fruit in the Santa Cruz area. The Empire yeah. apple, it must have come from a couple of parents. Yeah, you know, and special parents as well. You know, they came. It came from the um, uh, Macintosh apple, which, of course, um, at the turn of the century, was one of the most popular apples planted. And then of uh, the Red Delicious, which would fast become one of the most popular apples ever. That cross, of course, seemed to be at the time. I'm sure in the mid 40s, seemed to be an ideal 
you know, pairing of two of the most popular varieties of fruit. And in fact, it resulted in the empire apple, which I do consider to be superior to both. Uh, I would imagine then with that kind of parentage, this has to be a dark red apple. It is. It's a dark red um, kind of blotched uh, over a little bit of yellow, you know, that comes through it. Um, really pretty, perfectly round. Probably one of the things that I think is is most outstanding, uh, aside from the flavor, it's got it's got an incredible creamy flesh with um, a real sprightly subacid flavor. So sprightly, almost like you know, almost certain effervescence that the flesh has, um, and it's uh, definitely a subacid. So it really doesn't have anything to get in the way of a lot of sugar. The skin snaps like crazy. So it's got this, it's got this almost fun snap that happens every time you bite into it, which is typical of a Mac, but this is a tighter skin than a Mac. Hmm. The tree itself. It, it, it has a real kind of a very balanced uh, growth habit, very easy to prune, uh, you know, hmm. very easy to prune. What oh, the, Another thing about the fruit um, the fruit sets very evenly around through the tree. So thinning is a breeze on an empire. And it has sets very, very heavy crops. So you want to thin it mainly to get size because it's only a medium size apple. So you really thin it because they're heavy producers. So you thin it to get, you know, good size of your fruit. But the thinning is amazing because it just it just seems that the fruit balances itself out in the canopy so it uh, makes for easy picking and easy thinning and you know it's just just a real neat neat tree to work with it it requires a pollinator though some some people say that it is self-fruitful um and i would say that um i've never ever tested it specifically to determine whether or not it's self-fruitful and nor have i seen it in situations where it wasn't adjacent to other varieties of apples to ever qualify whether it was self-fruitful but i do see that in some catalogs so i i would suspect that some others possibly have but in there is the fact that it is one of the best pollinators for many varieties of apples and particularly gets quite often recommended for pollinating the, the Gravenstein and, of course, the Mutsu, oh. which are par, par and Stellan. I par, love the Mutsu. Yeah, they're pollen sterile varieties, so they require a pollinator. Definitely, uh, what do you call that? Empire is absolutely one of the best pollinators for both. And what does it, if it had its choice, who would its pollinator be? I think, you know, it, it takes many of the standard varieties like your Fuji's, Honeycrisp's. You know, keep in mind that Empire Apple has a, one of the widest range of adaptations of any variety of apple I know of. You know, there might be a few that come close, but, you know, Empire Apple is an apple that will set well in zone four and it'll set well in zone 9B. You know, oh. of, of course, with my great friend, close friend, uh, Tom Spellman from uh, Dave Wilson Nursery, he's done his tests out in UC Irvine and a Empire is a, just a stellar performer down in zone 9B. So this is an apple that has such a wide range of adaptation. It just makes it that much more attractive to the home gardener. And it's got fairly decent disease resistance. You really want to grow it in a place that has good air drainage and gets morning sun. Morning sun is really, really important in dealing with powdery mildew in that it's the drying sun, sun that dries the tree out the quickest. That helps in controlling it. But it does have a fair resistance to fire blight. Um, so that's that's a, a good thing. I, you know, really seen 
very little in my personal experience, but I do know that it, it does get it. All right. So if it can be pollinated by any other number of apple varieties, it, it would make sense then to put in other apple varieties that might ripen at a different time. You don't want a bunch of apples all at once. If you've got three or four apple trees, it would be nice to have them all mature at, at different stages. Yeah. And, you know, we could have some fun with that, too, with successive ripening. ripening I think so often, Fred, people don't uh, key into that when they're choosing fruit trees for their backyard. You know, for instance, they'll plant three of their favorite varieties and they'll all ripen right at the same time. And then, of course, you have too much fruit, though you may enjoy your abundance of fruit. At the same time, you're probably going to have a lot that goes to waste. But successive ripening and having fruit that ripens through the whole season is a great goal when you're planting your your home garden. With the um, empire, of course, that's a late um, mid-season apple, early late season, um, for com- com- confusion's sake. And so pairing that up with, say, an earlier honey crisp in cold country might be a real cool idea. And then maybe in the in, in between, you could put a Cox orange pippin in. And then, of course, you know, your empire would ripen late. Or you could actually uh, go with the honey crisp if you're really partial to the honey crisp and you want something cold hardy, you could lay in maybe, uh, you know, something like a wine sap that comes in later or uh, possibly an arc black. But basically, if you're going to start with one apple, perhaps the Empire would be a good place to start. Yeah, and definitely, you know, the Empire apple is one of the varieties I get very excited about simply because it is one that consistently year after year after year produces a wonderful piece of fruit. I've never, ever been disappointed by, you know, um, the Empire apple out in the uh, orchards. And even when I visited apple orchards in New England uh, through the years um, in in New Hampshire and Vermont and New York um, and Connecticut, um, Empire, you know, pops up quite frequently in those areas as well. And it even gets a darker color there. Um, uh, on the West Coast, it tends to be a little bit brighter, lighter uh, red, still deep red, but lighter and brighter. But the um, East Coast, it's a deep red um, and very, very distinct. Give us four apple trees that are compatible with the Empire that would do well, say, in warmer climates. Would the Arkansas black fit that description? Oh, yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's in my backyard here in you know the Bay Area, so uh, definitely. And that's a late season, so then you would have your empire come in just be- before that. Um, then, of course, you know if you wanted to have a good warm area, you know uh, apple, you would have your gala. You know, gala is not only a great pollinator as well, but you know, of course, an incredibly popular apple. If you wanted something really, really early and something that, you know, you could enjoy um, that's traditional Californian, you could do, you could start the year off with a Gravenstein. Ooh, okay. All right. And uh, would, you, would you work a Fuji in there? Fuji's going to be late. You okay. know, that's a late season apple. Sure. You can, that, that's easy. You know, you, you actually, um, uh, Fuji would be another great pollinating variety, but still, you know, popular, you know, in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that everybody knows. I always like the, you know, the idea of, you know, putting in 
some of the more, you know, esoteric varieties. My combination that I have here in my backyard um, is a combination of a soir, which is a, a Dutch variety, uh, S-W-A-A-R, and then a, um, a pink pearl, which is an Albert Edder variety out of California that has pink flesh and it's wonderful. And then I have an Arkansas black in, in, a, in a three in a high density three way planting. And um, yeah, I get lots of fruit and they all come off at different times. The Empire Apple, you can find it at tomorrowsharvest.com. You can find a list of nurseries that carry Birchall Nurseries Tomorrow Harvest lineup of fine tasting fruit and trees. Uh, if the, your local nursery doesn't have it, you can order it online from tomorrowsharvest.com. Is that true? You know, as a matter of fact, it is, Fred. You know, you are nothing, if nothing else, you are an honest man. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Ed, of course, is a salesman. Ed Livo, longtime fruit expert, all around good guy. Yeah, and blows a heavy harp. <laughs> and blows a heavy harp. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the blues, according to Ed. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good <laughs> all right it's tomorrowsharvest.com check it out for all your fruit tree needs ed livo thanks for spending a few minutes with us talking about the empire apple thanks for having me fred we'll look forward to next week on fabulous fruit friday Smart Pots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots are also BPA-free. There's no risk of chemicals leaching into the soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer Smart Pots. Smart Pots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and they can be reused year after year. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the Smart Pots that have handles makes them even easier to move closer to the house for added warmth or you could even move them inside. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight fabric containers. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Well, it's springtime. You might be starting up that outdoor power equipment, maybe the lawnmower, maybe a rototiller, maybe something else. But, uh oh, it's not starting. What could the problem be? Maybe it's a case of the gasoline. In fact, my next guest would say it's probably 90% a chance that it is the gasoline. And not all gas is created equal. Brad Gay is with JB's Power Equipment in Davis. He's been repairing outdoor power equipment for decades. And Brad, I, the fact of the matter is, gas goes bad and doesn't store for very long for your outdoor power equipment. No, you're right about that. Now, we used to do a demonstration where we have um, uh, like a coffee can, a small coffee can, and we'd pour some, you know, some gasoline in it just to give people kind of an idea of what happens. And and. Uh, from about 8.30 to noon, about noon, it started looking like uh, it had cream in it, like, you know, a coffee, like with cream in it, it because of the moisture. Depends on the humidity of where you are. That, that's, a, that's the real issue. Having the alcohol in the fuel, alcohol attracts moisture. 
most people might not know this, but when you go to a gas station, that gas, it comes from the bolt plant that produces that fuel and the process they take to put it into the tank of the truck is airtight there's no air that can get in it when it goes from the truck into the tanks into the ground it is sealed so no air is going to get into that fuel and there's a reason is what we were talking about the alcohol will absorb the moisture so that's that's uh, what we have to avoid and there's a number of ways to get a good fuel to use in whatever product you have if you can get something that doesn't have alcohol in it buy that but usually you're going to pay more for it and but you're going to find the performance going to perform better you're going to have less problems well let's talk about that alcohol we're talking i i would imagine about ethanol and it would be important that if you are buying your gas at a gas station and putting it in a one-gallon, two-gallon, or five-gallon container, you pay attention to uh, which nozzle you're sticking in that can and take a look uh, at that uh, pump and see what the ethanol content is. What was the limit? For I think most gas has ethanol in it. It's very hard at a gas station to find a, a gas pump with no ethanol. Uh, yeah, no, you're not going to find it. Well, some states, you're not going to find that for sure. I know uh, California, you're not going to get You have to buy it separate in some other. But in, uh, in some states, yeah, you can still buy alcohol-free uh, fuel. That, that's That happens a lot. I wish we could do that here in California, but that's just how things are. But when you, what we have to do, what the main thing you have to do, uh, even if the, al- the alcohol isn't such an issue because they only, they're only putting in 10% alcohol, at least here in California is all they're doing. If it starts getting higher than that, the performance of these small engines just uh, really goes kaput. So the, the big key thing we're telling people is use the highest octane you can wherever you're buying the fuel. Uh, stay away from regular fuels. Get a good fuel. Go to you know the name brand Shell, Chevron. Uh, I don't know if you got Costco. Costco's premium is actually very good. You want to buy a high octane you know fuel, and that's 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 the main thing. And then the alcohol is secondary after that. There's additives you can uh, put in with that fuel uh, to stabilize it for a long period of time in your airtight gas can. And you won't have problems, not near the problems that you would just from, you know, just going buying cheap regular. Well, an airtight gas can. Good luck on that one, because you're probably using the same five gallon container or two gallon container that you've been using for the last decade or so. Gasoline doesn't last through the winter in those containers if it's not air sealed. So I guess the answer is to put in some sort of stabilizer. Stabilizer is good, yeah. A great, good gas can. And, and, and no, I had somebody in, honestly, this is two days ago. <laughs> I'm going, I said, yeah, you got to have an airtight gas can. He goes, well, no, I just take mine and just open it up so it breathes a little bit. I'm going to go, no, don't do that. It's going to go bad quicker. So, but yeah, you need to, you need to get a good gas can and then a stabilizer is, I would say, pertinent. Uh, we've We've got a stabilizer uh k100 uh, is one of the things and we recommend that because it's it, it they actually have on the side of the bottle we can burn what we burn water but any anything that does get absorbed by the alcohol a lot of times it helps pass that through and we've had demonstration of jars where we have it mixed in fuel and we could take an eyedropper and take a water out of the eye and put it into the 
fuel. Well, usually under most cases, it becomes like uh, salad dressing, vinegar and oil, and it separates and goes to the bottom. That bubble will be in there. But with this mixture, the K100 in there, it will, it just becomes part of the gas and it will burn, but it, it will stabilize your gas for a long, longer time. It's not going to stabilize it forever, but it gives you a better chance to get back out there and use that machine and have it start like you want it to instead of sitting there pulling the rope, wondering what the hell heck happened. The whole idea of this whole conversation that we're talking about is making life better for you, the user, and not having being frustrated trying to start your stuff up. And this is this is good information. If you like I say, if you listen and do this, you will not have problems starting that unit. Exactly. When you go to pull that rope or turn the key, you will not have fuel issues if you're using fresh fuel, if you're storing it correctly in an air-sealed can. If you haven't purchased a new gasoline container in a while, uh, things have changed, and the, the, the newer ones are better sealed. Yes, even in the plastic ones, they actually have them on the inside of that gas tank. They actually have them with a, they had a, a sealant in there so that nothing will go through that plastic. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, this is a, um, oh gosh, the air resources board came up with a lot of these regulations. So they force the people making these gas cans. They do not want this admitting. They don't want it going into the air. And I don't know if that's in every state. I know it is here in California. And so we have, you know, if you're in California, you've got that funky gas nozzle, you got to stick on there and it, you know, it's, you got to, you know, it's like a vacuum on your gas nozzle. I know if you go to Oregon or Nevada or any of all these other states, just a regular old gas nozzle. That so we have. A, there's a lot of restrictions and, and and things that we have to have dealing with this alcohol fuel. So um, you just just buy the best fuel you can. And if um, if you want to put the additive in there, that's good. But you want to buy the highest octane. Really con- concentrate on that. And if you're storing that fuel for any length of time, be sure to get that stabilizer and put that in the container. I would I would recommend that highly. Absolutely. All right. We've got your mower getting started, so you can go out and mow the lawn now. Congratulations. Brad Gates from JB's Power Equipment and Davis. Uh, Brad, thanks for uh, gassing us up. Oh, you bet, Fred. You know what? It's been a gas talking to you. <laughs> Warmer weather means that fruit trees and berry bushes are soon going to spring to life with the promise of tasty, nutritious, fresh fruit for you and your family. So what are you waiting for? A website with more information? All right, here it is, tomorrowsharvest.com. It's your go-to site for a complete line of backyard fruit trees and bushes. Tomorrow's Harvest fine line of fruit trees is the result of 75 years of developing, testing, and growing. For well over that time, three generations of the Birchall family have been at the forefront of research and development of plants of the highest quality. All of these come in plantable paper pots, ready for you to stick directly in the ground, pot and all. Look for Tomorrow's Harvest fruit trees at Better Retail Nurseries. And if your favorite nursery doesn't carry any of Tomorrow's Harvest fruit, nut and berry varieties, you can order them directly from tomorrowsharvest.com. Let the Birchall family's three generations of experience take root in your home orchard, landscape and garden. It's Tomorrow's Harvest. Goodness you can grow. To find out more about their nutritious and delicious fruit and nut varieties, visit tomorrowsharvest.com. Oh, 
of the things you learn when you travel to a nursery with our favorite retired horticultural professor, Debbie Flower. We were looking at tomato plants recently, and I learned a thing or two, and now you will as well, about tomato suckers. I mean, I like to call them the tomato armpit hairs, but it's those little branches that grow between a side stem and the main stem. Do you keep them? Do you lose them? And are they good for anything? Turns out, they are. Here's a quick tip with Debbie Flower. Now, what about all the little armpit hairs I'll refer to on this tomato plant, which are little branches that are growing in the intersection of where there's a, a, a horizontal branch and the main stem. You'll see these little branches uh, popping out in that armpit. Right. Lose them or keep them? Uh, depends. You get a choice there. When I uh, grew tomatoes in New Jersey, which is the garden state, and tomatoes, I went to Rutgers. Tomatoes was a big uh, a research crop for, for at Rutgers. I was told, and it has to do with our growing season because we have a short growing season in New Jersey, to take those out, take every one of them out, and we would stake our tomatoes to a, 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 a wooden stake or a metal stake. We'd make them very upright plants, and it would be a single stem that I was told it would lead to earlier fruit production. But we weren't going for quantity of fruit production. We didn't have the growing season for that. If you leave them on, they will become their own long branches and they will produce flowers and fruit. But you end up getting this very dense, bushy plant. Great place for tomato hornworms, for instance, to hide. <laughs> and leaf-footed bugs. And leaf-footed bugs and maybe funguses to grow. So you get a choice of leaving them or taking them off. I tend to remove some and leave some. So are you saying that if I remove those tomato armpit hairs, I will get tomatoes sooner? That is what I was told when I went to Rutgers, yes. Well, that's a non-committal answer. I don't know if it's scientifically proven. <laughs> All, right. All right. So the it, choice is yours, folks. It is. And when the season comes to an end, when we're at the other end of, of the growing season and you're getting these, they're, they're shoots in, in the armpits uh, with leaves and stems of their very own. If you want to preserve your tomato over the winter, that's the part you take. You take that little uh, stem with leaves on it out of the armpit and root it, and then that will grow through the winter. Ooh, and you could have that indoors. So you put it in a pot with, would you use seed starting mix? No, I would use container mix. Okay. And right, and grow it over the winter, maybe in a greenhouse. Uh, they tend to attract white flies. It's not the easiest things to do. You'll need a sun supplement. You need to make sure they stay warm. But then if you really liked that tomato, it might be worth it to, to, to have it for the next spring. Even if it's a yucky-looking plant, by the time you get through the winter and start into the spring, you could propagate from that plant again. Same thing. Take the stem out of the armpit, root it, and then put it into your summer garden for the next year. And unlike taking the seed from the tomato that was grown from this plant and planting it the next year, you're not necessarily going to get the tomato, the same tomato variety. Uh, from as seed, a, no, from, from But if you take the armpit hair out, say, in September or October, when you have figured out that, hey, I really like the, the this tomato, this is really good, if you clip out those little armpit hairs and plant them in a container and keep it indoors, you will get the same tomato next year. Yes, you're cloning. 
So you're making an exact copy of the plant that you had before. Is this question going to be on the final? <laughs> Everything's on the final. Okay. So this would be called asexual reproduction. Yes. Asexual propagation, right. Yep, absolutely. All right, I get an A. All right, there you go. Uh, a great tip for tomatoes, not only in planting them now, but if you really like that tomato, how to save it for the next year, yep. too. There you go. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode, transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters, and you're going to find more information about how to get in touch with us. You can leave an audio question without making a phone call. You do it via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash garden basics. It's easy. Give it a try. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, put your question in the ratings and reviews section. You can text us questions and pictures or leave us your question at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. And you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And please tell us where you're from because that'll help us greatly accurately answer your garden questions. Because after all, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets. That includes Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, you'll find a link to the FarmerFred.com website. Thanks for listening to Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's available on many podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, and many more. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave a comment or a rating. That helps us decide which garden topics you'd like to see addressed. And again, thank you.